about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clan of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites who will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, but then his greatness will raise the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Israelites invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Israel with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Israelites when they invade our land and march across our borders. Hi, my name is Michael. I'll read the second reading here. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the ruler of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him.
I forgot to say as well, um, the Advent material continues to come out that we're sending out each week on a Sunday. So I know there's a lot of emails, but uh, it really just looks uh, and is kind of really excellent. So there's a poem by Emily Williams from the evening, and there's a little reflection by Tom Habib this week. So, you know, do, do take some time to have a look at that. I've been really encouraged by what I've seen in that. Thanks, everybody. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this prophecy from the prophet Micah. We pray that as we read and think about it this morning, you would show us your son Jesus once again. In his name we pray. Amen. The Christmas message of peace has a piercing resonance this year. War was sadly never really absent from our world, but it has surged back into our consciousness. We watch with horror the destruction in Gaza. We are wearied by news from Ukraine. And we barely dare to look at what is going on in Sudan. When my children were very little, war seemed like something from the history books. Now it feels to them like something that can actually happen. What does it mean to speak of peace in such times? In the face of such violence and determination to win, what hope can there be, really, for peace? Well, the longing for peace was actually alive and well in the time into which Jesus was born. At first glance, this might seem surprising because at one level there was a kind of peace in place. The Roman Empire was triumphant and brought with it the famous Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. But this was a deeply unsatisfying peace if you weren't a Roman. Uh, it was peace at the point of a sword. Peace lived under threat and sustained by brutality. It was peace without real freedom or much justice. For the Jewish people, the Romans were only the latest in a string of foreign masters. And they longed for true peace. For peace that was not just the absence of outright war, but what they called shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. True peace, peace that walked hand in hand with justice. And they expected that peace to come from a particular source, a messiah, that is, a king appointed by God would appear and he would bring peace. He would overcome those who oppressed Israel, send them scattering and bring in a time of true peace. That was what the Messiah would do. We see this expectation, it's in the background when the Magi, the wise men, appear at the birth of Jesus. The prospect that a king of the Jews has been born, it sends Herod into conniptions. Because if it's true, he's stuffed. Because he is in deep with the Romans. But even if it's not true, it's a serious problem for him because people were looking for a Messiah. They were longing for a Messiah, a coming king who would bring a reign of true peace. So this could create big problems. 
And you know, these expectations never left Jesus. These expectations that he would, he would be this king. At the beginning of the book of Acts, which records the events that took place after Jesus' death and resurrection, right? so well after a lot has changed, Jesus' followers gather around him and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Isn't that an amazing moment? Because it shows that even now, even after everything that's happened, Jesus' disciples still expect him to do what the Messiah was supposed to do, to bring in a kingdom of peace and justice once and for all, and presumably to kick out the Romans. Where did this expectation come from? What did Jesus do with it in the end? And does it offer us anything today as we, too, despair of peace on earth? Well, the answer to the first question, where did this expectation come from? The answer is it came from the 8th century prophets in Israel. It came from the prophets who appeared in the 8th century BC and afterwards. At a time of great peril in the life of Israel and Judah, these prophets came and they promised a king who would bring peace. Last week we looked at one of these prophets, Isaiah, and we're actually going to return to another part of Isaiah next week. Today we look at another example, the prophet Micah. Micah of Morasheth was actually a contempt of Morasheth just means from Morasheth, that's the town he was from. Um, he was a contemporary of Isaiah. They may have even met, who knows. The two of them come into view at the end of the 8th century BC, so we're talking kind of the 720s and the 710s, uh, and actually onwards a bit longer, during the reigns of Ahaz and his son Hezekiah. Now, you, I'm going to have to mention some of the history. Again, don't get kind of too frazzled by it. If you want to know more, love to talk to you, love to help you do that, but also you don't need to understand that much to get the picture. So just, just roll with it and see how you go. So Isaiah and Micah, they're at the end of the 8th century BC, under these kings, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Um, it's a key moment in Israel's history because they suddenly have to deal with the threat of the Assyrian Empire expanding to its west. So if you think Israel and Judah are over here, and there's a big desert, and then over, the, over here, uh, this is called the Fertile Crescent. I should have done a map, but... Assyria is here, and Assyria is expanding. And that's the kind of big context for what's going on. And we actually see this in verses 5 and 6 of our passage, which Kylie read before. It's there in your outlines. In verse, verses 5 and 6, it speaks straightforwardly about when, Assyrian, when the Assyrians invade our land. Do you see that? Well, Micah's message, like Isaiah's, was a message that judgment was coming especially upon the northern kingdom of Israel, judgment for turning away from the Lord. And actually that judgment did fall. The prophecies came about. Assyria swept through the land of Israel, destroyed the northern capital of Samaria, and eventually came further down into the land of Judah. But Micah, like Isaiah, also had a message of hope. 
Like Isaiah, he prophesied that Judah would be delivered. The southern kingdom, Judah, would be delivered if the king stood firm in faith. Now, last week we saw that King Ahaz failed badly at this point. But his son, King Hezekiah, did better. Here is what the book of Kings... Oh, sorry, this is, this is an artwork of, of Micah, and then this is King Hezekiah, except they might have not have looked anything like that. They're just guesses. But anyway, Hezekiah, listen to what the book of Kings says about him. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Notice that last bit about Hezekiah rebelling against Assyria. Unlike Ahaz, his father, Hezekiah stands up to Assyria, relying on God. You can read the story of what happens, if you want to, in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, or Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. It's such a great story, it's actually printed twice in the Old Testament. It is a really great story, by the way. The Assyrians invade Judah, um, and they lay waste, and it's, it's pretty grim. And they besiege Jerusalem, but in the end, they fail to take it. Now, all of this lies behind the words we read in Micah chapter 5. It is a prophecy of a king who will come and save Judah from the Assyrians. If you're looking at it there on your sheets, you see in verse 1 that a siege is laid. A siege is laid and Israel's ruler is struck. City of troops, you get this picture of Jerusalem, all the armies kind of getting ready and a siege is laid and the ruler is struck. But then as Micah goes on, a king emerges from This small town, Bethlehem, verse 2, a ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And this king will deliver God's people. Let's read again from verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders who will rule the land of Israel with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. Nimrod, by the way, is an old name for Babylon, which is the territory to the south of Assyria that became a great empire a little later. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. Um, The big picture here is clear, isn't it? A ruler will come who will deliver God's people from their oppressors, Assyria and Babylon. He will usher in a time of true peace, peace free from fear. There's a wonderful contrast here in verse 4. The phrase, they will live securely, see that one? Um, In the Hebrew, that that is literally just they will sit, because the word sit also is a word for dwell. Um, And so there's actually this wonderful contrast between the Messiah who will stand and God's people who will sit. 
Uh, He's going to stand and they're going to be able to sit and he will be our peace. The word for peace there is shalom. True peace. Peace with freedom and justice. But who is this king? Who is this king? What is clear is that this king will be a son in the line of David. That's what verse 2, which is on your sheets if you want to look at it, is about. Bethlehem was where King David was from. Okay, so if you go back and read the stories of King David in the book of 1 Samuel, you discover he's from Bethlehem. And actually in 1 Samuel 17, we're told David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judea. Now that all just sounds a bit weird, but you see actually there where Micah is getting his phrase from where he said, when he says in verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah. It's a reference back to King David. The mention of David being, uh, the mention of this king in Micah being from of old, from of ancient times, is also probably a reference back to King David. This is going to be a, a, a king who comes from the ancient line of David. Was that Hezekiah? Was it Hezekiah? I mean, he was from the line of David. And some people would have read the prophecy that way, I think. I think some people would have thought Micah's talking about Hezekiah. That's him. He's going to deliver us. And maybe in a way, Micah was boosting Hezekiah. Yet I think he was also looking further ahead than this. What happened under Hezekiah when he stood up to Assyria, but at terrible cost? It looks very much like what we read in verse 1, where the troops are marshaled and a siege is laid and the ruler is struck. But in that case, Micah goes on to speak of a ruler who is still to come. He is looking to a future king in David's line who will deliver Israel once and for all. Hezekiah was a god, but he did not deliver what Micah promised here. He just didn't do this, right? Rule Assyria, conquer Assyria. And yet so much of what the prophets Isaiah and Micah did say would happen, so much of it did come about. And that produced this incredible tension within the life of Israel. These guys were speaking the truth, and yet what they'd said about this king hadn't come true yet. And so Israel was left with these words, these hopes awaiting fulfillment. Israel was left hoping for a king who would come out of Bethlehem somehow and defeat their oppressors and bring peace. Well, the Christian belief is that that king did finally arrive in Jesus. Jesus, who was born to a family in David's line and born unexpectedly in Bethlehem. Notice this point. Jesus should not have been born in Bethlehem. His family lived in Nazareth in Galilee. Bethlehem was in Judea in the south. It'd be like somebody whose family had always lived in Queensland saying, oh, he's born in Sydney. You know, very embarrassing for a Queenslander. You know, that's why in John's Gospel, actually, some people write Jesus off. People, people just assumed he wasn't from Bethlehem. Look at this interaction from John chapter 7. On hearing his words, some of the people said... Surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. But still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? That's the north. 
Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. But Jesus was from Bethlehem, actually. Because as Luke's Gospel records, Jesus' parents had had to travel there for the Roman census. Jesus, Christians have always believed, Jesus was the true king in David's line. The rule of the prophets had promised. And all sorts of amazing things showed that to be the case, like the fact that unexpectedly he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, but, but actually how, how can he be this king? Let's now feel the weight of that question properly. Because Jesus didn't do what the prophets said this ruler would do, did he? Compare him to Hezekiah. Hezekiah did not overcome the Assyrians and rule them with the sword and bring peace to the ends of the earth, okay, but he did resist the Assyrians. He did save Jerusalem. What did Jesus do? He conspicuously did not fight the Romans. In fact, when he was put on trial before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate for the crime of being king of the Jews and a threat to Rome, he made it clear that Pilate had nothing to worry about. Or did he? Or did he? What did Jesus actually say to the Roman governor Pilate? Let's recall it. Here's the interaction from John chapter 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? I I love this interaction, by the way. Jesus is just like, yeah, that's not your question. You know, where are you getting this stuff, mate? And Pilate, Pilate is annoyed. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? You know, the Pilate's really like... I don't want to wade into this business. You know, of course it's somebody else's question. What is it you've done? And then Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servant, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Well, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus' actual words here are really interesting. At first, it does look like what Jesus is saying is that his kingdom is just of a different kind to Pilate's. But it's actually, it's not that neat, actually. Literally, what Jesus says is, is not that his kingdom is not of this world, but that his kingdom is not from this world. That word there, not of this world, is literally from. It's just tricky to translate. My kingdom is not from this world. What does that mean? And so they go with of. But that's actually what he says at the end. My kingdom is from another place. And he says it in a different way to emphasize it. That's very different to him just saying that his kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus is saying is much more that his kingdom is secured by different means. It's built on another foundation. And so his kingdom is not at all threatened by the fact that he's being arrested. And Pilate gets the point, doesn't he? You are a king then, he says. And you know, Pilate is right. Jesus is a king. 
He is the king. He is the one promised by the prophets, the king in David's line out of Bethlehem, the ruler to deliver God's people. Because you see, the oppressors that Jesus came to overthrow were not those of this world, Assyria, Babylon, Rome. Jesus came to conquer much more fearsome foes and to bring a much more perfect peace. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in one of the most profound meditations on the work of Christ in the Bible. This is a dense passage, but I really think it's worth looking at. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul is speaking here about how the hostility between Jews and Gentiles is overcome in Christ. Because both groups have been reconciled to God through the cross. And so Christ's message is a message of peace. Peace with one another because peace with God. Through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Messiah did come to bring peace, but not just peace here and now, but peace at the deepest level. Peace founded on a healing of the deepest conflict. The mess, the grievance between us and the Lord God. And when that conflict is over come and healed and when there is peace peace can flow into the rest of our lives Jesus came to defeat the great enemies of sin and evil that waged war against us and against God and he did it through the cross this is a this what he did was a kingly work beyond anything the prophets could have seen And yet they did glimpse it, didn't they? Did you notice those first words there that Paul says, he himself is our peace? That's from Micah, I think. Remember Micah says, he will be our peace. Micah prophesied a shepherd to come who would not just make peace, but who would himself be our peace. And that is Jesus the one who fought the ultimate battle against sin and evil itself in order to create in himself a true and perfect peace, healing the rift between God and humanity through his offering to death and so freeing us to love one another. Oh, I had it highlighted. That would have been good to use. Let's finish. He will stand and shepherd his flock. That, by the way, is is the adoration of the lamb, a famous picture of the worship of Jesus and the peace in 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 the book of Revelation. Who cares? But it's good. 
Let's finish with Micah. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, they will sit, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. It would be wonderful if peace were able to reach the ends of the earth right now. If the wars and horrors of the world were already overcome, we should pray for that, we should work for it, we should not give up on it. But we will probably have to grieve and lament that it is not here yet. But we can also be glad in hope that one day this definitely will come about. Remember the carol? In his name all oppression shall cease. And it will. In the name of Jesus, in the end, all oppression will cease. All the Assyrias and Babylons and Romes will shut their mouths and stop their violence. Because Jesus Christ has conquered and he sits at the right hand of God. The reign of peace has begun. And one day it will fill heaven and earth. What Micah saw only as a hope to come, we know as a hope begun. In the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ stood to shepherd his flock. And he laid down his life to save them. And he rose victorious so that one day his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. And we will sit and be at peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the Prince of Peace. And we pray that in the midst of this time of war and conflict, which we find so awful and troubling, that that truth and that hope will fill our hearts with gladness even in the midst of sorrow, would give us joy even when there is also grief, and would teach us to be people who walk in the way of peace here and now. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.